We want safety, job security, and financial freedom from our workplace. We expect that when we show up to work and after we got our college degrees that we have a job that's going to be in demand for a long time. One thing that some people feel is a threat to that is the rapid advancements in artificial intelligence, AI, and robots. An example is self-driving cars. You've got truckers who are going to be losing lots of jobs when AI, when self-driving cars really roll out. Self-serve kiosks are making cashiers unemployable across fast food. This is a threat some people believe to the ideal, and I'm going to talk about a book I've been reading, The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity by Byron Reese, specifically two chapters. Chapter 9 and Chapter 10, Will Robots Take All of Our Jobs, and Are There Robot-Proof Jobs? The Fourth Age was written in April of 2018, just a couple months back from when I'm recording this episode. And it starts off by talking about three times in human history where technology has fundamentally redefined humanity. The first time, 100,000 years ago, humans create fire. Well, not create, humans harness fire. And that led us to develop language. 10,000 years ago, we developed agriculture and that allowed us to create cities and warfare. 5,000 years ago, we invented the wheel and that allowed us to create nation states. We're now at the doorstep of a fourth revolution that's going to be driven by two technologies, artificial intelligence and robotics. In this book, uh, they address why and how and kind of redefine a lot of the questions that I've been asking and a lot of the people that I work with have been asking. And he breaks it down into a couple stories and he we'll get into it in a little bit actually. This is really good. Uh, he uses mathematical proofs that we'll talk about and first, we'll start off with the question, will robots take all of our jobs? There are three main groups of thought, or three camps of ideology, if you will, about the question, will robots take all of our jobs? First, the machines are going to take all of the jobs. The second is that machines are going to take just some of the jobs. And the last makes sense, logically, machines are going to take none of the jobs. So let's look at each of these individually and talk about the assumptions that are behind them. The first field, that ma machines are going to take all of the jobs. The argument for that kind of sounds like this. For the past 250 years, machines have been taking jobs from humans. At first, machines were only able to do the most basic and simple tasks. And they took on the backbreaking work in the form of the steam engine. And things that steam could do had been such grinding toil from men and beasts that we welcomed those changes with open arms. And that was the start of the Industrial Revolution. Progress is relentless, and machines of all types are going to be improved upon indefinitely. You can see where this is headed at some point. Technology will advance faster than the time it takes for people to learn or invent new jobs. As has happened in the past, the time between when a technological disruption creates a job and when another disruption destroys that job will never get shorter until the time will come when the, the machines can, can learn uh, any new task better and faster than any human. It's not that simple though. First assumption in there is that humans are machines. And following right into the second assumption, the second assumption is that since humans are machines, we can build a mechanical human. And the third assumption follows off of that and says, mechanical humans would have the full range of our mental abilities, including creativity. Now you can stop right there and have a lot of problems with those assumptions. Uh, I have a problem with the, the thought that me mechanical humans would have the full range of our mental abilities, including creativity. But let's roll on into the fourth assumption, which is the conscious machine would want to do our dirty work. Because once you've got 
a machine that's able to perform at human levels, they're going to have and experience the same thoughts that humans have. And the fifth assumption, whether it is willing or not, we will compel it to creating de facto mechanical slaves. These assumptions kind of get a little bit of morality into the point where we've already defined robots as equivalent to humans, and now we're compelling them to do tasks that we don't want to do, which is in essence slavery. Assumption 6. It would be economically practical to build such mechanical humans. Although it may be possible for us to, to build these machines that are equivalent to humans, is it economically feasible? Assumption 7. Machines would become so inexpensive or efficient that they would be cheaper to deploy than human labor. We've Okay, this assumption is one that a lot of business people take and they run with. Yes, you can find a lot of machines uh, that are efficient and can be cheaper to deploy than human labor, but we're talking about a different kind of automation on a much higher level of ability to solve complex problems. Assumption 8. The programming cost to teach the machine a new skill, plus the cost of running the machine, will always be less than the labor costs of paying a human to do it. You may or may not believe this. That's another one of the assumptions. I'm trying not to give too much of my own thoughts here and rather just list out the assumptions that all fall into this first field that uh, robots will take all of the jobs. The ninth assumption, and I believe last assumption, are that humans lack the ability to find other tasks that machines cannot do. So this is, a this is an assumption on humanity that, okay, we have created a machine that is able to do everything that humans do. And now that we've done that, humans are not able to think of any other tasks to do. And that is the, the last assumption of the first one. Personally, I don't think that uh, a lot of these assumptions are true. I Potentially, humans are machines, and potentially, uh, we can build a mechanical one. It's Whether or not it's feasible, that sounds uh, arguable to me. And the theory that, that mechanical humans have the full range of mental abilities, including creativity, uh, I think that there's something in between that. I think that evolution has done a lot for humanity and us, our ability to create an intelligence doesn't necessarily give us the ability to replicate the hundreds of thousands, millions of years that humans have been working through this evolutionary process. We've spent a lot of time to create the humanity that you see in front of you. The second possibility is that machines will take some of the jobs. They're not going to take all the jobs. They're not going to take none of the jobs. This is right there in the middle, not deciding on either of the polarities. The argument for this camp sounds a little like this. Of course, there was job loss due to technology that has existed in the past, but it was always offset by technologies creating new jobs. Now, however, times are different. How? First, the rate of innovation is much, much faster, so jobs are eliminated much more quickly. Second, in the past, automation replaced only physical labor. But now we are dealing with the widespread automation of cognitive labor, which will destroy many previously untouched industries. And finally, the cost of automation technology is falling rapidly, meaning that a robot that will cost you $1 million today in 2018 may only cost $1,000 in 2030. Once you accept the idea that automation will do more and more low-skilled jobs, you cannot escape the fact that this will result in too many low-skilled workers and too few low-skilled jobs. That's the uh, general argument. Let's break it down into the assumption. The first assumption, that machines and technology cause a net loss of jobs. This accusation that technology is a net job destroyer, it's been argued for a long time. Back in the 1580s, William Lee invented this machine called the stocking frame knitting machine. 
and he even pulled a few strings and arranged to give a demonstration to Queen Elizabeth in the hopes of obtaining a royal patent. The queen responded by saying, Consider thou what the invention could do to my poor subjects. It is assuredly bring them to ruin by depriving them of employment, thus making them beggars. William Lee had to end up leaving England because hosiers did not like him at all, and the job loss that they thought was going to be created as a result of the machine that he created. Fast forward a little bit, 1811. The hostility towards automation coalesced in the Luddite movement, which consisted of groups of people violently opposed to technology that replaced skilled labors. Hundreds of proponents of that movement, the Luddite movement, ended up roaming the countryside, burning factories, and in some places they even killed the owners of the machines. The same argument, fearful of technology, Kodak was going to replace all art. Kodak was, it was predicted to destroy art. Electricity was so feared that in 1891, President Benjamin Harrison had servants turn on the lights and off the lights in the White House because his family wouldn't touch the switches, and that kept people employed even though electricity was there to solve the, the problem that the servants were there to do. But why do you never hear about all of the roving gangs of elevator operators and telephone switch operators and manual knitters who got their jobs automated? Well, the reason is pretty obvious, and it's that all people who saw their jobs eliminated went on to do different things. We don't say that to try to minimize how difficult the transitions are, but instead to point out how freaking extraordinary human beings are. While I was traveling out to Seattle this summer, my Airbnb host told me how her job, she used to design stuff, and then with the advent of Photoshop and with digital design, she lost her job. And she said it with such malice, I was very surprised because what she was doing now, hosting an Airbnb, allowing guests into her home, and, and the different interactions we had, her job seemed pretty freaking awesome. It seemed like she had adjusted well. Her house seemed pretty good. She was a widow, so she nobody else was living there, and it didn't seem like she really had to put in a lot of work and that she was living a good life. But she was letting this thought that automation had stolen her job cast a negative shadow on a time of her life that could have really been positive change towards the transition of her being the Airbnb host. The next assumption, number two, is that too many jobs will be destroyed too quickly. This is another long-standing argument that people have been making for centuries. And while it is clear that we will see ever-fasting technological advances, it's unlikely that they will be different enough in nature to buck our 200-year run of plenty of jobs and rising wages. In one sense, no technology really compares to mechanization, electricity, or steam engines in impact on labor. And those were huge wins for both workers and the overall economy, even though they were incredibly disruptive. Assumption number three is one of my favorites, and that is that not enough new jobs will be created quickly enough. There was a book written called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. It was written back in 2016 by the president of the World Economic Forum. In, uh, in it, it said, In many industries and countries, the most in-demand occupations or specialties did not exist 10 or even 5 years ago, and the pace of change is set to accelerate. By one popular estimate, 65% of children entering primary school today will ultimately end up working in completely new job types that don't yet exist. This is a lot for a lot of people to wrap their head around, but just take it to understand that new jobs are being created way faster than you can even imagine. And in the over the course of today, or maybe even this podcast episode, there are a couple jobs being created. They might not be enough to fuel and house and employ hundreds of millions of people, 
but new jobs are being created at a very quick, very fast rate, and that needs to be taken into consideration. Assumption number four, low-skilled workers will be the first to go. Following off of assumption four is assumption number five, that there won't be enough jobs for these workers in the future. Assumption number four is that low-skilled workers are gonna be the first to go, and following on to that, assumption number five is that there won't be enough jobs for these workers in the future. All of these arguments have been around for a long time, and let's talk about it like this. When can jobs continue to be created at the top for highly advanced technical fields who have a lot of experience and knowledge. So a new geneticist job gets created. And no, the low-skilled worker who gets his job automated does not go and become that really high geneticist. Instead, what happens is this. A college biology professor becomes the new geneticist, and a high school biology teacher takes the college job. A substitute elementary teacher takes the high school job, and then the unemployed warehouse worker becomes the substitute teacher. This is the story of progress. When a new job is, when a new job is created up at the top, everybody gets a promotion. The question is not can a warehouse worker become a geneticist, but can every person do a little harder work than the one that they currently do? If the answer is yes, and I am a firm supporter that everyone can work just a little bit harder, then we all want new jobs to be created at the top so that everyone gets a chance to get that promotion. The third possibility is the machines are going to take none of the jobs. The argument for this case sounds a little like this. First, there exists a range of jobs that machines will not be able to do. Jobs that we won't want them to do and jobs that is not economically viable for them to do. Most jobs require dozens of skills like creativity and empathy that computers will never have, or at least not for centuries. Second, for the sake of argument, let's say that the first statement is wrong and that computers can in fact do 80% of all the jobs out there. Even then, there still won't be any unemployment. There are an unlimited number of jobs. The misconception that there is a fixed pool of jobs that the robots are going to pick off one by one has a name, and that's the lump of labor fallacy. The lump of labor fallacy. In reality, there will be unlimited jobs indefinitely, for they are created by the human mind, not by an outside force. Third, even if robots did take all the jobs and all the wages were distributed evenly among the population, making it so no one would need to work, most people would still choose to have a job of some kind. Let's break this down into the assumptions that make it up. Assumption one, there are many jobs that machines will never be able to do. At this point, that's just a hypothesis, uh, but it gets discussed later on in the book. Assumption two, there are in fact an infinite number of jobs. Let's take women getting rights in the workplace as an example of how this assumption uh, is true. In 1940, there were only about 25% of women in the United States participating in the workforce. Just 40 years later, that percentage was up to 50%. 33 million women entered the workforce during that span of time. Where did those jobs come from? Of course, at the beginning of the period, many of the positions were wartime jobs, but women continued to pour into the labor force even after peace broke out. If you'd been an economist in 1940 and you were told that 33 million women would be out looking for jobs by 1980, wouldn't you have predicted much higher unemployment and much lower wages as many more people would be competing for, quote, the same pool of jobs, end quote? Rolling into assumption three, we would work anyways. Take this. Could you get by by working 15 hours a week? Let's say that you currently make $60,000 a year. Well, cutting your work week by 60%, you might therefore make $24,000. Could you live on that? Probably, but would you want to have to live in a 500 square foot dwelling, never eat out, 
make your meals at home from staples and never run the air conditioning? Well, that's exactly how the middle class lived in the 1930s. 500 square feet, no eating out, no AC. So yes, you could have the same standard of living as someone in the 1930s by working just 15 hours a week. Plus, being that it is modernity, you would still have the advantage of the internet and not having rubella. The point is, our standard of living and our expectations of a normal life have risen dramatically, as well they should have. They should continue to rise, and we should work to make sure that the rising tide truly does raise all ships. If in the year 2047, we can all live in the 2017 economic life by working 15 hours a week, how many hours do you think we will work? I suspect that we're still going to work 40 or more hours a week, because the economic life of 2017 is going to look pretty hard compared to the 2047 standard. Summing up what the life in 2017 was like, looking from the perspective of someone in the future, they might say something like this. What? 2017? That was back when people had to look at the prices of items before they bought them to see if they could afford them. Doctors would tell you the cost of medical procedures and needed to maybe because you didn't have enough money to buy them or insurance to cover them. Almost everybody still did their own housework, drove their own car, weeded their own garden. They lived in these tiny houses that sat on the ground like dens of animals. Sometimes rats and roaches and fleas came into their house. Their windows were clear glass, and no matter how ugly it was outside, they didn't have hollow glass that could give everyone an ocean view. And the food they ate, they had no idea where it came from and what had been sprayed on it. They ate the flesh of real animals, and even the coarse bits that would grind up into a dish called sausage, whose entire purpose was to disguise the origin of the meat. They couldn't order up custom manufactured food to the exact taste and texture that they loved most. They just put random stuff into their mouths and hoped they liked it and didn't give them a heart attack or something called cancer. Oh, and if they had a headache, they took the exact same pill everyone else on the planet took with no regard for their own genome. Most of the time, if the headache went away, it was just dumb luck. Oh, and get this, at work, they typed on a keyboard with their fingers. It was an age of stones and knives and bearskins, man. Yeah, in 2047, yourself is probably going to say, I will stay late at the fusion reactor so I don't have to live that way. You're going to go out of your way to try to enforce a standard of living that is accepted among the common people so that you don't have to live the same standard of living that, you, that I am living today recording this podcast episode. Why are we working so hard to have so much? We've already proven that it's possible to make a living off of $15 an hour. You can have the food that you need, the shelter that you need, and still be part of a community by only working 15 hours a week in 2018. Yet we're still going to see people, I'm one of those people, who work well over 30, 40 hours a week to try to maintain a standard of living that is on par with what people deem common in the year 2018. That standard of living is going to continue to rise, and with it, Humanity is going to continue to improve with it. The rising tide raises all ships. And until we can start to appreciate that we are part of a leisure class, or once we can start to be content with what we have, we're just going to continue to work harder, to press ourselves further, forward and upward, to reach the next level. I talked a little bit too much on will robots take all of our jobs today, but tomorrow we're going to come back and talk about are there robot-proof jobs. <laughs>